Hey there, friend. It's Clarissa, founder of Blossoming Fertility and the host of the Fertility Friends podcast. I'm so glad you're here. Listen, I know the path to motherhood isn't always easy, and you don't have to go through it alone. After experiencing my own fertility challenges, I discovered a passion for helping other women because I believe that everyone's fertility journey is unique and beautiful in its own way. As your new fertility friend, I'm here to support you through the tough times, to encourage you to keep going, and to restore your belief in your body's ability to get and stay pregnant. Grab your cup of tea, get cozy, and join me here each week for education, heartfelt conversations that'll warm your soul, and inspiring stories to help you feel seen and understood along the way. Listen in, because this one's for you, my friend. Hey there, friend. Welcome to episode 16 of the Fertility Friend Podcast. Today, I'm interviewing another guest on the show, Bethany Laverne. After a long journey to conceive her two children, Bethany openly shares details of her personal fertility journey with us. During our discussion, we talk about how her journey began, what she experienced along the way, including HSG tests, IUI, IVF, an ectopic pregnancy, and miscarriage. We also talk about navigating relationships and the anxiousness she felt throughout her pregnancy. So before we dive in, let me introduce you to Bethany so you can get to know her a little bit better. Bethany Laverne is a wife, mama of two boys, a lactation consultant, and a speech therapist. After six years of working in nursing homes as a speech therapist, she decided to stay at home when her first son was born. Her second son was born with a tongue and lip tie that nobody caught at the hospital, and that breastfeeding journey changed her life, not only as a mama, but it also led her to become a lactation consultant. Now she's taken her work from the nursing homes to the home as she helps breastfeeding mamas work out their struggle with latching and nursing pain so they can exclusively breastfeed their babies. This conversation is honest, vulnerable, and relatable. So without further ado, let's listen in. All right. Hello, Bethany. Welcome to the Fertility Friend Podcast. I'm really excited to have you here. Thank you so much for having me today. I'm so excited to talk about this conversation. I feel it is not talked about enough. That is so, so, so true. And I'm just really grateful for women like you who are willing to share their stories and Um, help other women feel less alone because this is definitely more common than we realize. So um, absolutely. And I feel like we hide, like when I was going through the journey, I did not let people know, including our family. Yes. I, okay. I'm, I was the same way. And why do you think that is? I know I want to maybe take it back a little bit more, but um, what was your hesitation, I guess, in sharing with other people? I feel the shame. Because I feel it, so many people you look out to and they get pregnant the first time or within um, like three months. And I noticed that a lot with my friends. And so I never felt like I could bring it up, especially to friends that were like, oh my gosh, I tried for so long. It was four months. And I just literally wanted to start crying and like leave the house. Cause I'm like, well, I've been in the thick of it for two years with no answers. Right. And so I, you just don't want to bring it up because then everyone asks a thousand questions and your heart already hurts. And you just don't want to 
to talk about it again sometimes. And especially if there's males in the room, I feel like that's very awkward. So if it's like two couples at dinner or people come over, we like to play board games. So if, you know, we had another couple come over to play board games, it's not really something you want to talk about in front of a husband and be like, so I'm broken. Mm hmm. Yeah, right. Exactly. It's a heavy subject. Mm-hmm. And it definitely puts kind of like a damper in the the tone of the room. And mm-hmm. yeah, totally. I, I know what you mean. And I when I did actually open up to people, it was definitely women only. Um, mm-hmm. And even that was really challenging, too. So completely mm-hmm. understand where you're coming from. And that shame is something that weighs very heavily because you think, well, you start to even question it more, right? As people say, well, it, it didn't take me for very long or oh, I was only trying for four months. But in reality, it's a lot longer for you. And that just kind of cements the shame even further. So um, definitely can relate to that and um, how you feel there. Um, Let's take it back a little bit more, though, because I do want the listeners to get to know you a little bit more. Let's talk about maybe what your life was like and who Bethany was before trying to conceive. So before your fertility journey, what was life like? You know, what were you doing? Um, What was your job? Just maybe a little bit of a preview into that era. (laughs) Okay, so I am a speech language pathologist. I started my career working in nursing homes. It's not where I wanted to be. I wanted to work in schools and I was super disappointed (laughs) uh, that I got a job in nursing homes. So however, when I graduated, I graduated in January. So schools aren't really hiring in January. And so I had to look other places, but I was like, oh, I will definitely switch back over into schools. And I just didn't do it. Uh, (laughs) I enjoyed working in the nursing homes. Um, And so I quickly became a manager of the nursing home of the therapy. So you usually when you enter a nursing home, you get speech, occupational and physical therapy. And so I ran one nursing home um, and then eventually I moved up and I stopped treating unless it was necessary, right? Like someone was sick, we couldn't find coverage. And then I ran seven um, nursing homes in central Illinois. That's awesome. Okay. Very cool. Yeah. So I really, I can't say I enjoyed my job a hundred percent, right? Because I still had that longing to work with kids. But then when we started trying for kids, your heart hurts so much. You don't want to work with children. At least I didn't because I ended up taking a maternity leave working in a private practice. And I ended up leaving it after six months because I was just like, I can't do this because your heart just hurts. And when you see things that maybe you don't feel are kosher, Mm -hmm. right? You're like, I could do it better, but Mm -hmm. yet I haven't been blessed with a child, which I felt like I struggled with a lot. So I was like, I'll just stay in the nursing homes because it's safe. You don't see kids. You don't talk about kids, right? That is such a blessing in disguise. And I didn't even really think about that. Mm-hmm. And you're right. I don't know that I've ever actually voiced that out loud, but I did have a lot of judgment for other parents and things like that too. And I felt so guilty for that because I'm like, okay, I shouldn't be judging them. But in reality, like if I had a child, if I had a daughter, you know, anything, I would I would do so much better. <laughs> and I, I hate to admit that. And that's something yeah. um, harsh, but yeah, I think when you have that longing and you see some of those, I don't want to even say injust- injustices, but just different maybe styles or things that um, aren't kosher, like you mentioned. Um, yeah. It's definitely just digs that wound even further. Right. Mm-hmm. So, so true. Definitely agree. So what was that moment or what was that point when you 
decided to start trying for kids? Sure. So I had always told my husband, we got married young. We were 21. He was 23. Um, I was still in grad school and I made it a very clear point when we um, got together that I said, we will not be having kids until after I have completed my degree. So I had two more years still left in grad school. And then I had what's called a clinical year. So I said, do not even ask for three years because (laughs) I want my full license at any point because the lovely thing about speech therapists is we can do a lot of PRN work. So as needed work. Um, And so I said, I want at any point in time after we have kids, if we need extra money, I can go work weekends. I can go work nights, especially in the nursing homes where it's needed the most. I can pick up maternity leaves in the school. And so please don't ask. Okay. And so then after that three years, we still, we wanted, we're a big fan of Dave Ramsey. And so we wanted to pay off a lot of our debt before we even had kids. So I could be a stay at home mom. These were, you know, since I wanted to be a mom so bad, I really wanted to not feel that pressure to go back to work right away. So we wanted to pay off all of our college debt and own both of our cars. So that really the only thing we were paying was the mortgage on our house. I love that. That's awesome. Yeah. So it was really five years into our marriage. I was 25. And I remember we had gone away for a weekend and I said, I think I'm ready. I think I'm ready to start trying. And he was like, okay, sure. <laughs> was that exciting for you too? Like, what, how did you feel in that moment once you were like, okay, I do feel ready. Things are in place. I've been planning for so long. Sure. So I still felt nervous, right? Because also at 25, you don't necessarily feel established, right? We still didn't have a house, but I was like, it'll be okay. I was still thankful it didn't work out right then because we still were in apartment. We could have made it work, right? People have kids in apartments all the time, especially in New York City. But I felt ready. I felt ready. And I think it was more feeling like if you look back now, I love that I had that time to prepare. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I really like educated myself on, you know, birthing, um, because specifically, I wanted to do a non-medicated birth. I, um, you know, I don't really call myself a hippie. I'm a little bit crunchy, maybe, (laughs) (laughs) but I definitely wanted a doula. So I researched doulas, what they do for you. Um, I wanted an unmedicated birth and like how I can get through that, like all the techniques I really wanted to breastfeed. And so I felt like that gave me a lot of ample time to specifically, you know, prepare for those things. Yeah. So let's talk about that. So ultimately how much time was it? And I guess, well, Mm -hmm. actually, before I ask that, did you ever think that getting pregnant would take a long time or did you think that it would happen right away once you felt ready? I didn't think it would take a long time because I'm a very healthy person. I've always exercised a lot. Um, And I'm like, I'm super healthy. Why would there be any problems? Right. Um, And so also my husband, he has like three siblings, so they didn't have problems having kids. But then of course my mom then started reminding me she had trouble getting pregnant with me. And I was like, Oh, interesting. But then she said, I took one round of Clomid, which is a pill to help with fertility. And she said, I got pregnant the first time after I took Clomid. And I said, Oh, great. So we tried for, 
you know, a year on our own. Um, you did ask how long it took five years. Uh, we'll fast forward to that. <laughs> yeah. Um, so then after a year, I went into my OBGYN and I was like, we've been trying for a year. We had told you about this. Uh, my mom said she got pregnant on Clomid. Uh, how do you feel about this? And she said, sure, I'll write you a prescription today. And I said, great. So, uh, she also did some blood work, right? It wasn't just like I walked out with it. Yeah, sure. So she would do blood work to make sure everything was okay. And she said, everything looks fine. I don't see the issue. So she put, uh, me on Clomid. We did five rounds of Clomid with no success. Then from there we ended up moving. And so I got a new doctor. So we discussed that. She wanted a semen analysis of my husband, which also, again, is really awkward to talk about with your friends. Like you don't just like bring that up with your friends, right? Yeah. And it's awkward for your husband to ask him to do this. Um, and so from that, they were like, no, he's not making enough sperm. It's not your fault. It's his. Okay. Right. Uh, well, then they tested him again. They were like, never mind. He, there, it's fantastic. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> Flip-flopping so you have nothing to great job. Mm, yeah. <laughs> yep. <laughs> and you thinking, okay, it's not my fault. And so now like, okay, back to it being. My okay. Fault. Now it is my fault again. Yeah. yeah. And mm -hmm. you feel a lot of shame, right? Like what's my fault? What is wrong? What can we do with this? Yeah. So my doctor said, you know what? I bet we just do a dye test on you and your fallopian tubes are closed. And so she said, let's do a dye test. And so you have to go into like an x-ray room um, and then they literally shoot dye into your fallopian tubes, which by the way, hurts really, really bad. Um, okay. <laughs> I haven't had that done. I was close to, but I didn't. So. Okay. I yeah. I've had it done three times. So, and then uh, God bless the nurses who go, just keep breathing. Hmm. Stop holding your breath. Okay. I'm oh, trying. <laughs> but it hurt. Yeah. Wow. It did hurt. Right. So. Uh, and every time the doctor would go, now I have so many patients that after I do this next month, you're going to be pregnant. I'm so excited to see you for when you call me and say you're pregnant. And I was like, okay. So then of course your confidence gets and you're like, yes. Right. And you look at your calendar and you're like, we're doing it on these days and this is going to work. And then it doesn't. And you're in tears on your bathroom floor again. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> So from there, after another year of, you know, doing this Clomid and then doing the dye tests and continuing to say, I don't know, you know, so we then went to a fertility clinic um, in Illinois. So the closest one was like 45 minutes away, you know, and they aren't just everywhere. And especially if you don't live in a big city, you can have to travel for a while. It was either go 45 minutes in Illinois from where we lived or go back to Indianapolis in a different state. Um, and that was going to be like a three and a half, four hour drive. Wow. Yeah. So it was really far for you. Yeah. So we went the 45 minutes, which that clinic has now closed, not because it was bad, but um, the the doctor decided she wanted to relocate to somewhere warmer. <laughs> yeah. Makes sense. <laughs> yeah. And they couldn't find anyone else to take the practice. So the mm -hmm. practice had to close. Mm -hmm. So of course we met her. She was absolutely lovely. They do so much more blood work on you there on myself and your partner. Um, and then come back with you with the results. 
So I get a phone call then that said, please come back in for your results. Oh, okay. I thought we were going to do a summer phone. I can come in. I did not take my husband because I was like, "Eh, that's okay. Right. He's got to work. Let's not take time off work. I went in biggest mistake I made. She sat me down and she goes, well, I can tell you why you aren't getting pregnant. She said, your blood works off. I said, great. What's wrong? She goes, you have a tumor in your brain. What? Oh, this is not at all what I thought you were going to say. So like, I, I was like shocked. Like I didn't know what to do. Like I went out to my car and cried afterwards and I just called my husband. I was like, I have brain cancer. Oh my gosh. Yeah. I mean, there should have been a bring somebody with you uh, meeting on the phone. So she said, we need you to go get an MRI with dye contrast immediately. Like, we don't know what we're dealing with, but your levels are so high. We think it's a really big tumor. <gasps> but of course, also as a speech therapist, you think about people with brain tumors, because I work with people that have had TBIs, mm-hmm. traumatic brain injuries, people with brain tumors, all these kind of things. And usually something becomes off on the person, right? Mm-hmm. Like they become mean or they start slurring mm-hmm. their words, right? It, it depends on where the tumor's at. And I was like, I haven't had any of these problems. I can still drive. I'm functioning at work. No one's made comments that something seems off about me. Yeah. So I was shocked. So within three days, my husband takes me to go get an MRI um, with dye contrast, which by the way, if you're claustrophobic, these things are absolutely awful and you have to lay perfectly still, you're awake, but you have to lay perfectly still for like half an hour and not move. And then if at any point you freak out and hit the button and it ejects you, you have to start over. Oh my gosh. Wow. I didn't realize that. That's miserable. Yes. Now there's like a little mirror that you can see into and see back into your tech. Um, And then there is like a button to push, like if you have like a question or want to talk to someone and it's so loud, they can't play music to kind of like soothe you or like a podcast or something. You just have to listen. I feel like I maybe had headphones on, but it was so loud, like you couldn't hear anything. Right. And I just remember like breathing through it, praying through it. But I was like, I would, I would have liked my husband to sit in the room and just be able to like stare into his eyes. Like I couldn't even see anyone like the tech, like walked away. So, and you also can't see, I couldn't see a countdown of like, how many minutes do I have left? Like it felt like an eternity. It feels like torture. It it totally was. Yeah. And and also putting the dye in, they said, by the way, it'll feel like you're peeing your pants and you aren't. Oh my gosh. To top it all off. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So anyways, the results came back. I didn't have, um, a brain tumor. So which was amazing. That, uh, yeah. I mean, totally grateful, but right, so that, grateful. Even that buildup, like that stress that you must've been feeling leading up to that. Oh, so much. Cause uh-huh. I still had to go to work for like a few days and I would, you know, you're just like, oh my gosh, what's going on. I know at one point I put a lot of humor into my life. Like I enjoy laughing. I like comedy. My husband makes me laugh. That's one of the reasons I love him so much. Um, but I remember trying to insert humor into my life so I wouldn't cry. And I remember at one point we were going for a walk and I said, if I do have brain cancer, I'm going to die. Please let me help you pick out your next wife. <laughs> like I just like took it all the way to the end. Like yeah. it was awful. Yeah. That's awful, Bethany. Oh my God. I know. But what I a know. relief, right? That you didn't have it. But... Amen. Yes. Gosh. 
Yeah. So let me also interject right now. If you are going through something like this, please put yourself in counseling or please get a fertility coach, right? (laughs) Yeah. Um, They are so wonderful to have. And I think that's what sustained me so well because your partner can listen, right? But they don't get it all the time, right? He was like empathetic, but he also had nothing to add all the time. Yeah. And so it's nice to also talk to somebody else that's a female that's been through this. Now, my counselor had not been through this, but she was helpful talking me through this and helping me talk about talking with family Mm. as a subject and also what hurtful words might come back and how to deal with those without being like sarcastic or hurtful back. Mm. Yeah. Which I I think think our partners aren't equipped to deal with that, right? Like they're not trained professionals in this. They're not equipped and they're also going through their own challenges. I'm sure like having that potential diagnosis be on you too and how that affects him and his life. Mm -hmm. I think, yeah, it's a lot for them to bear as well. Um, So yeah, the expectations are really high that they're going to support us through it and Mm -hmm. they do and they will as best they can, but Mm -hmm. I think the outside support is absolutely crucial. So Right. And I feel like they don't talk about it. At least my husband didn't talk about it. And I, you know, I saw different signs that I felt like he was struggling as well. Like one day I came home and we had talked about ripping up the carpet and I come home and he's ripped up all the stair carpet. And I was like, okay. (laughs) Busy work. Yeah. Trying to like occupy. Right. And yeah. Yeah. Um, So I feel like we see it in different ways without them expressing their emotions, which saying like, I'm hurting too. Good point. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, And maybe one of these days too, I need to have one of the, the guys on the podcast. I don't know if my husband would volunteer, but it'd be interesting just to hear from their perspective. Like, how does this affect you too? Because I go through it too. Um, Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And I know um, a plug for another podcast that really helped me with a male in it. I like to listen to Matt and Dory's excellent adventure. They are through their IVF journey. But if you start at the beginning, which I found them really right when they were starting their journey as myself, and it's just um, a female and a wife, um, or no, I'm sorry, a female and a husband sitting and talking about their journey, all the doctor's appointments, Mm -hmm. um, all the transfers, all that kind of stuff. If you go into past episodes, and I felt like that really helped me and lots of people call in like with a lot of questions, um, as well. So, but, uh, spoiler alert, they do have a kid. And so do not fast forward episodes if you do not want to hear them. Sure. Yeah. That's a good trigger warning. I'll link that. I haven't heard of that podcast. Um, so I'll link that below too. And that way people can check that out. sounds like that would be really helpful for going through it in the moment and being able to relate and know what to expect, kind of like skip ahead and know what some of those um, upcoming steps are too. So. Sure. Cause it's also like, he explains his journey too. So talking about, you know, giving his sample, taking it, and like it getting cleaned and what the rooms look like. And then there's even some comical stuff about like how the rooms are set up with (laughs) magazines and et cetera, you know? And so so it's just interesting to hear that because they're out in California. I was in Illinois at the time. Right. And so it was just interesting to hear the different journeys. Um, Cause I also had one doctor at our clinic, whereas they're in like LA, I believe. And so there's like five doctors in their clinic. So you might not always see the same doctor every time. That makes sense. Yeah. I feel like a lot more practices are becoming like that too. So sure, it's good to know. So mm-hmm. I guess let's go back. So you find out you don't have brain cancers, right? <laughs> surprise, which again, super grateful for. 
um, what happened next then? So that clearly wasn't the reason why you weren't getting pregnant. Sure. So they were just saying my prolactin level was super high, which prolactin is what um, helps you make breast milk in the future. Right. And so they were like, so your boobs must leak with breast milk all the time. And I was like, no, absolutely not. And they're like, do you have any discharge? And I was like, no, but they're like, your numbers are so high. So they were like, okay, we're going to put you on this med and then it's going to bring down these numbers. So then I had to have a lot of blood work going forward to get my level down to wherever it was supposed to be. I'm sorry. I don't remember the numbers, but within normal range. Right. And so then they were like, okay, we aren't going to do anything. And you're just going to try for a few months and even out these levels. Okay. Nothing happened. Okay. Mm -hmm. So then they says, what should we do next? And so, um, we said, well, let's just do IUI instead of go straight to IVF, right? So interuterine insemination. And so we did five rounds of that. So we did two rounds. Then we took a little bit of a break. We did three more rounds. And after the fifth round, she said, I will not do this anymore. Hmm. And she said, this isn't working. And I oh. said, well, clearly, because yeah, I wasn't right. even getting pregnant at all. Right. Oh, okay. That's what I was going to say. Not at all. Okay. And IUIs are also, you know, think about some of those bigger families like Outdaughtered, where they had five kids. They did IUI. Um, I don't know. There's a few TV okay. shows on TLC Common. that I love mm-hmm. that have done IUI. And so the thing is, you're making a lot of embryos yeah. um, and then you're, you know, putting semen up there to inseminate them and best of luck. And hopefully you don't get five daughters right on out daughtered. Uh, (laughs) And so they were like, we will let you know, like you have to sign a lot of consents that more than likely you will have multiples. Mm. So again, getting Um, hopes up even for that. Right. I know. And we kept going, that's okay. And Mm -hmm. she was like, but I don't like multiples. And we go, but we don't care. Right. right? Like we would love to take home two babies. And she was like, I know, but there's like NICU stays and all the, you know, all these things. And, you know, but I don't know about you, but I look back at my school, like specifically my high school I went to, I had four sets of twins and one sets of one set of triplets in my class. Like, yeah, there was a ton. I don't know what was going on in my school, <laughs> but it wasn't the case in mine. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, so, you know, with that, like, you know, definitely the one family with three, the, the triplets, like they definitely were IVF. Like that was very well, sta- like everyone like knew that in the school. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. So, but nothing happened for us. I never got pregnant. Nothing, you know, cause then you just, um, no, I'm sorry. I lied on. Okay. So the first one was negative. The second one, cause you take an at home pregnancy test. Yeah. And so it was negative. And I remember waking up on a Friday and being like, I'm in a lot of pain. Like something is wrong. Like my ovary, the, I don't know, something is very wrong. The cramps are bad, but I'm not. Um, and I did bleed too. Right. Like I thought I had started my period but I was like, this is not right. Something is not right because it was after my period was over. So it was like 10 days out and I felt awful. Hmm. So I called them. Of course it was a Friday. They are done working by noon. Yeah. And they were like, well, we're full today. We can't see you. And I was like, please, can I please get an ultrasound? I feel like something's wrong. Can I please come in? Nope. No, we can't. We can't see you at all. 
And so then they said, if it gets that bad, go to the ER. And I said, I don't want to go to the ER because you guys know me. Like all I'm asking is for this. Um, they wouldn't send me. I I should have called and seen if my OBGYN would have taken me as well. But when you when you get transferred to an IVF doctor, you really don't have, or I didn't have communication with my OBGYN. I'm not sure about you. Yeah. Um, until you get released with a pregnancy back to your OBGYN. So I felt like I couldn't call and be like, hey, this is going on. Can I please come in? Thank yeah. you. Um, so I didn't. I dealt with the pain. Um, I even went into work that day. I should have stayed home, but I just felt like I couldn't. And so I went into work. I remember waking back up again Monday morning with huge pain. And I was like, something is wrong. Please, somebody listen to me. Something is wrong. And they're like, fine, we will write for you to go get blood work done. Just go to the hospital, get blood work done. We'll call you with the results. You're fine. Okay, fine. So still no ultrasound though, like you were requesting. Still no ultrasound, which I was like, okay, I just, I feel like something's wrong, right? So I get a um, phone call at like noon. And I am over an hour away from the clinic. I get a phone call from my nurse and she goes, Bethany, you're pregnant, but your numbers are so low. There is an issue. Like you think, please get into our clinic as soon as possible. So I then have to call my boss, which does not know about this. And I say, Hey, Aaron, I'm now canceling for the rest of the day of the work. And so I said, I'll call you back later and explain why, but I have to go into my doctor. So I called my husband and I said, you have to leave work and come with me. I don't know what's going on. So I had to drive 45 minutes down to pick him up. And then we had to drive 45 minutes over to their clinic. And they uh, did an ultrasound on me and they said, we don't see a baby anywhere. And they said, you have an ectopic pregnancy, but we're going to send you to your regular OBGYN. And we want them to also do an ultrasound to confirm that they agree with us. Oh, wow. And I said, okay. And they said, and you need to stop by the pharmacy on your way there and you're going to be picking up meds. Okay. So we did. We get there. It was actually my OBGYN stay off. And she actually came in, they called her and came in, which was so lovely because I did not feel like I had a great connection with her, but I thought that was so sweet that she didn't just say, give it to someone else in the practice or let a nurse take care of it. Right. Like I thought that was was like, yeah, yeah. Like that was super sweet. She knew she had referred me, you know, for IVF. So I thought that was absolutely wonderful. So they also did an ultrasound on me. They agreed that they could not find the baby, which means, you know, the baby stuck in your fallopian tube. And so I said, well, what if I don't take this medicine? Mm. I said, what happens there? Right. Because then you start getting into some morals, or at least I felt like I was getting into morals. Absolutely. Yeah. Like I'm killing the kid I wanted mm-hmm. and you know, that's hard to deal with. Oh yeah. And you're like, So tell me what are my options because I don't want to take this medicine right now. Mm. And they said, well, basically you're having all this pain because the baby's growing in your fallopian tube and that's not where it's supposed to be. And your fallopian tube's going to bust. 
And so the choices are, if you don't do anything, it will bust and it could kill you, right? Because, or you have to go in for like emergency surgery. And so some people that don't know that's going on and it does bust, they end up like passing out Wow. and are like unconscious. Like I've heard of that before. Right. And they're like, this could, and then you might have to have a whole hysterectomy. Right. And then you can never have kids. Oh my gosh. Wow. So I said, okay, I'll take the medicine. And it's actually a um, a cancer chemotherapy medicine. And so it's given by a shot. They like mixed it and then gave it to me in my hip. And then they said, you will miscarry this baby and you will start bleeding again at some point. And so within the next week to two weeks, you will miscarry this baby. Wow. Yeah. Heavy stuff. How were you feeling at that point? Oh, I was so upset. Yeah. So I remember not crying in the doctor's office because that's my personality. I don't want to show weakness to people. I don't want to cry in front of people. Right. I waited till we got to the car. Mm. And even like to the point of like, you want it to not be real that you're like, so what do you want me to make for dinner? Mm. And my husband's like, we're picking up dinner. And what do you want? Mm, I don't know. You kind of know know, like, right. Yeah. Yeah. So that was super hard. Um, I, I ended up calling my big boss and, you know, she's over like 30 nursing homes. Her name was Jill. She was absolutely amazing. I told her everything. And I said, I need some time off. And she said, you take as much time as you want. You tell me when you're ready to go back to work. Yeah. You had that support uh, because yeah, I, I yeah. mean, you shouldn't have to, and many women do go back to work right after miscarrying too. And mm-hmm. that's hard. I mean, it's, yeah. it's a loss, right? I don't think as a society, we take enough time to acknowledge mm-hmm. the loss of life and that mm-hmm. mourning that you experienced too, of something that you really, really wanted that is now out of your mm-hmm. grasp. It's just. Right. Hard. Yeah. Cause you're like, I was so close. Mm-hmm. I was mm-hmm. so close. Yeah. And I just, I feel like maybe I took one day off. Like it wasn't even a lot of time. And I remember her calling me and being like, Aaron says you're at work today. And I'm like, yeah, I am. We have work to do. We have patients to treat. We have minutes to meet. I'm at work today. And she was like, you can go home. I was like, no. I said, if I go home, I'm just going to sit on the couch and cry. Yeah. Right. I prefer to be at work surrounded by people. And like, let's just pretend nothing happened. Right. Because my coworkers didn't know and it didn't matter. Yeah. And then to explain it to them too, like of why you've been gone, that's almost hard as well. Right. But yeah, I think having that distraction for a lot Mm -hmm. of people does help because Mm -hmm. then you don't have to feel those feelings that are coming up, which is really hard that I think we, we definitely try to avoid a lot. I know I did. I, Mm -hmm. I numbed out so many Mm -hmm. parts of our journey where they're just too hard to deal with. So Mm -hmm. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I feel like it's super, super easy to do, mm-hmm. you know, to just like numb out and do other things, mm-hmm. you know, to also be like, you know, we were very um, adamant on going out to dinner once a week, like mm-hmm. have a date night, right? Um, Because I wanted to keep that relationship because I also was afraid I was going to lose him. Mm-hmm. You know, I, 
there was no point that, it, that we were anywhere close to like breaking up or getting a divorce or anything. But as a female, I felt like in the back of my head, I'm broken. Oh. It's so easy to go find a younger version of myself. Yeah. And that was hard, especially because he worked in a university with athletes. And so I felt like now he didn't work one-on-one with the athletes all the time. And it was mostly males, but I still felt like, but he sees all the volleyball players walking around. He sees all the soccer players walking past his door every day. And I was just like, he's just going to go get a younger version of me, Hmm. you know? Yeah. And you feel like a failure, right? Like you feel like a failure, as a wife, as a woman, like the one thing that you should be able to do and you're not able to do. And, sure. and just, it's a lot of pressure that you put on yourself too. And, and that we mm-hmm. put on ourselves. And I I think too, I mean, obviously your husband didn't say that, but we, no. we put that on ourselves, right? We take mm-hmm. that on and I, I'm not sure why, or just kind of naturally we default to that. Um, mm-hmm. Even if they haven't mentioned anything like that, or even if they are still happy. They do still want to stay with us, but it just feels like, gosh, I'm, I'm letting them down too. Right. I'm, I'm not allowing them to fulfill their dream of being a father either. I'm standing in there. Right. Yeah. Right. So, and I also feel like, I don't know about everybody else, but I feel like I have these conversations in my head that aren't real yes. that like he, well, if I say this, he'll say this. Or because of this, he feels this way. And he's like, I never said that. And I'm like, well, I have a conversation in my head of it. Right. And you're like, but that's like what you play in your head as you go to sleep every night. Right. Or I had longer drives to work. And so I would also switch nursing home buildings and they would be like 35 minute drives. And I feel like that's the time I had these conversations in myself and would. And I remember more than once driving in my car from one building to another building, crying the whole way and then getting there and being like, all right, get yourself back together and get to work. Oh, we got work to do. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. Or like you're like, I got five minutes time at the building. Like, Mm -hmm. suck it up, buttercup. Yeah. We got work to do. Come on. Like, yeah, no, it's true. And it's. It's so hard that, I guess, dichotomy of emotions, right? You have this feeling of this grief, this deep grief, this Mm -hmm. deep sadness, but then you also know that, like, I need to move on. I need to live life. Mm -hmm. I need to be able to function in society. And Mm -hmm. it's so hard to go back and forth between the two to where it's like, no, I'm okay, but really I'm not. No, wait, I am okay, but really I'm not. Mm -hmm. And I think it's just so challenging to deal with those emotions on this journey for sure. So true. I also say, get yourself like a a best friend that you feel like you can tell everything. And so I found a girl that we were both going through infertility. We were both in small group together through our church. And I believe she shared first. She was like more open about it. And she was my person. Mm, And so I could call Miranda at any time and be like, today's a bad day. Or guess what? This didn't work out again. And you could just cry on the phone. And it was like, absolutely amazing. My cousin was going through the same thing. He's a male. um, And so him and his wife also had infertility problems. Also the same amount of time. They just did IVF. They didn't do like the other stuff. Um, But it was also nice to have someone in the family also going through this at the, at the same time. Um, but then you also walk on pins and needles, which is hard That's to say true. too, That's because true. you're so nervous to call the other person mm-hmm. and say, Hey, mine didn't work out. How'd yours go? Mm-hmm. That's true. 
right? Or then you it's get- almost like you're not part of the club anymore, right? If one of you gets yeah. or one of you doesn't before. Yeah. Oh, true. Because then I got a Snapchat uh-huh. that said we're pregnant and I just remember melting uh-huh. in yeah. tears. You and of course you need line. to say, congratulations. I'm so excited for you. Yeah. But then again, you're like, but I'm so sad for myself yeah. because again, they're into a club you aren't into. Yes. Now, sad story. They lost that baby after a few months. Right. Yeah. And then we went through another round, uh, like a, I'm going to fast forward a little bit, a round of IVF. They went through a round of IVF. We were so nervous to call each other, but it worked out for both of us. And we have kids one month apart. No, two weeks apart. Oh, that's awesome. I Mm -hmm. love that. Yeah. Yeah. And then let's fast forward some more. (laughs) And then he called me again and said, I hate to call you, but we got pregnant by ourselves. Wow. And I was like, but that's so amazing for yeah, you guys, right? That's awesome. That's awesome. Like, and I'm not going to lie, mamas, or sorry, I always say mamas because that's <laughs> what I say in my podcast, ladies. My they apologies. are mamas. They're on their way. <laughs> exactly. You are on your journey already. You're already caring for your baby and you're figuring it out, but I don't want to upset anyone. So my apologies. But let me tell you, I now have a five-year-old and when people still tell me they're pregnant, it still hurts. And I absolutely hate that, but we aren't even trying for a kid right now. And I hate to say that scar is always going to be there. Yeah. That's so, so I'm really glad that you said that too, because I think for me, if I hadn't have done so much work on just healing myself and everything. I, I, I still get triggered. I think we talked about this too, that um, that's come up for me a couple of times. It passes a lot faster than it used to. And I don't Mm -hmm. dwell on it like I used to, but um, there's something about that pain of not getting pregnant when you want to, when you want it so badly and Mm -hmm. knowing that it's happening for other people, it's like that imprint is still there. It's, it's crazy Mm -hmm. that, like you said, you're not trying. I mean, you can still be happy yeah. for them, but it's just that trigger is so prevalent. I don't know what it is, but it's yeah. really hard to get it to go away. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. So I have no advice on that, but just know it still hurts yeah. later on. And I, I hate, I hate that. Um, Cause you're like, I don't even want a kid right now. I'm not even trying. I'm so happy for you, but why does it still sting so hard every time someone tells you they're pregnant or just scrolling on Instagram and you're like, oh, oh, mm-hmm. she's pregnant. Mm-hmm. I don't know about you, but I think for me, it was a lot of stored up bitterness. Like I had a lot sure. of bitterness towards people who didn't struggle on the journey. Like why yes. does it have to be so hard for me? Why was it so hard for me? Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that played a big role in why I was being triggered at the time mm-hmm. too, because mm-hmm. I just... I couldn't be happy for people, even if they were friends, even if they had been trying to, and they were on the fertility journey like me, once they graduated and got out of that club, I was just like, well, why me? Why me? Why does this keep happening for me? So, or to me. Yeah. Yeah. And I think the hardest are, like you said, people that like, they said, oh, we tried the, we got off birth control and it happened the first month or, oh, I was on birth control and it happened. And that's always the hardest for me, I think, or, um, yeah, just really like any 
you know, anyone that, or, you know, says like, it was an oops baby, like, oh, I was accidentally sick. And, um, like we got pregnant. Yeah. It's hard. Um, That's those things are so hard to hear. Um, and it's funny too, because these women who are saying this, I mean, they're sharing their story, they're sharing their experience, but I don't think they always realize the impact that it has on everybody else. Cause like mm-hmm. you, I hadn't shared with anybody. So if people mm-hmm. were telling me these things, it's not like they were trying to protect my feelings because they didn't know they needed to, because I didn't tell them that I was struggling. Right. Exactly. Right? So that makes But it I think then they're still going to tell you anyways. Right. So mm-hmm. then we start sharing with people, right. I started to be more vocal about it, especially in our small groups, right. That's supposed to be a super safe space. Mm-hmm. Yes. It's not always a safe space right? Mm-hmm. Which stinks. Um, but broken people go to church too, right? The church is made up of broken people. That's why we're there together to be in community. And also I was older at the time, right? I, I didn't have our first kid till I was almost 31. And so I'm, I'm talking to and in group with people that are 22, 23. And I look back at what I was like at 23 and you're like, I didn't have a lot of filters myself. That's true. (laughs) Right. And so I feel like people on IVF journeys were older. Uh It takes us longer, not necessarily all the time. Right. But we're older. But then if you try to find people that also don't have kids, they're in their early twenties. Right. So you also have to give them grace, which is super, super hard. (laughs) Yeah. And I just remember we had shared so much with one couple, Mm -hmm. our journey. And they were like, well, we're newly married and we're trying to, and it had been four months. Uh And then I remember coming in, having an absolutely awful day on my IVF journey, talking to her. And I mean, I was clearly upset. I was clearly crying. I was told you will not do this next IVF session for a certain reason. And then I'm about to like leave and she goes, oh, I took a pregnancy test this morning and I'm pregnant. Oh, no. Zero sensitivity. Zero. Yeah. Oh, my God. And I'm like, did you not just hear what I said for the last half an hour? And I just said, okay. And I remember picking up my bag and walking out the door. And then later I got a phone call. Oh, maybe I shouldn't have said that. Did I upset you? Now, what did I say? Nope. It was just fine. fine. You're fine. Right? I'm fine. I'm fine. Yeah. That's great. Mm-hmm. No, it was not fine at yeah. all. Yeah. And I should have been honest with her. But guess what? That relationship was destroyed that day. Yeah. And I hate to say we are not friends to this day. Yeah right? Like I, I tried. Yeah. But just after that moment, I was like, well, you don't understand anything Mm, of what I said. And I felt like we couldn't, you know? And so then we like, my husband's like, but I really like his husband and I feel like we're good friends and let's, let's go over and have pizza. Mm. And I said, okay. So I sucked it up. Like we all do. You put on your happy face and you say, I'll go over for dinner even though I don't want to. And I remember sitting at dinner and she had a piece of pizza and then she went for a second and then she had a third and goes, this one's for the baby because I can eat as much as I want. Oh my gosh. And then she didn't feel well. 
and she had heartburn and went to the bedroom and we didn't see her for the rest of the night. And I remember texting my husband and going, it's time to go before I lose it. Yeah. Right. Wow. So you're going to experience people that even when you do tell are not sensitive to your situation or don't even think it's going to be a problem because they're so excited about being newly pregnant. Mm -hmm. They say a lot of things that are mean that they don't realize are mean. That's true. That's so true. And so I know even at one point, because of all my hurt, because of all my anger, I do not ask people if they're trying or want to have kids. Right. And so I, I remember sitting in another small group and someone goes, so you guys have been married for five years. When are you having kids to another couple? And I was having a bad day and I stood up and said, it's none of your business. Please don't ask them. Mm. It's good. Oh, it was not good. (laughs) (laughs) It was not good. Uh Oh, um, the girl definitely, again, this was the same girl. Yeah. Okay. Oh, oh. pizza girl. Oh, I see. Um, So, yeah. And so I, you know, I was just trying to help this girl, Catherine. I don't, I didn't know the answer for her. I was afraid her answer was my answer. Hmm. Right. And I was trying to save her. Yeah. Like you wanted somebody to step in and save you too. Right. Exactly. Right. I needed my knight in shiny armor. I was trying to be hers and it did not go well. And she said, Bethany, it's fine. We aren't trying. We have a trip planned to Israel next year. We will try after that. Wow. Okay. But then from there, I then got very angry text after that. Then then group was over, by the way. By the way, everyone <laughs> left. We were all done. <laughs> and so, but I got very angry text on how rude and insensitive I have been. Mm-hmm. And I said, I was trying to save her in case she was going through the hurt I have. And by the way, no, you should have never told me you were pregnant on the day I came over to your house to say I could not do another round of IVF. You are very insensitive. Hmm. Right? So it it's hard. You're going to lose relationships, which I hate to say. You're going to lose friend relationships. People are going to step on your toes and not even know they did it. So then that's also a hard subject to bring up. And how do you bring that up with your friends and say, hey, please don't say stuff like that. Yeah. Right. And and I, I feel like I don't have good advice to make it better for you. But it, it's going to happen. And I feel like there is a time and a season for everything. And sometimes some friendships need to go. Yeah. 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 And that's the thing, right? I think we can do our best. Like my thought process is do what you can control, put the boundaries in place. If people respect those, then great. Maybe the relationship survives. If people don't respect those boundaries, then, you know, maybe they weren't as good of friends or what you needed in that moment in terms of a relationship. Um, So yeah, I think relationships in general, whether it's friendships, whether it's with your partner, whether it's with family too, a lot of this mm-hmm. dynamic comes into play with family that are insensitive. And unfortunately it's harder to just cut them off, right? When you see them every day or every week or whatever it is. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, this definitely is something that's very prevalent within this community. And it's important for you to be able to protect your peace and protect your own mm-hmm. heart. Um, because 
you know, you shouldn't have to go to these events and then come back from them feeling even more deflated, even more heartbroken. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it happens. So yeah, that's that's the reality. It does happen. And right. We try to do our best to to prepare mm-hmm. for it. Um, you know, set those boundaries in place. But ultimately, it's still going to happen. So how do you cope through it? I guess beyond that, and how do you continue to move forward? It's not easy. So no. Um, glad we talked about this though too. So we've kind of touched on it though a little bit, but when, so you got pregnant with your first son after a round of IVF, but you had stopped Mm -hmm. doing IVF. So I guess what was that transition between the two of? Sure. Yeah. So let's, let's back up to my ectopic pregnancy. And so, cause we did two IUIs in a row. And then after that, I told my husband, I said, I don't think I can do this anymore. Hmm. I said, it's too emotionally draining. Yeah. There's too many shots, which by the way, that was hilarious that I said that because it's like five shots when you do IUI, like it's like nothing. Okay. I hate to say it's yeah, nothing. No, it's a lot. I feel like five is a lot. I feel like one is a lot. I'm a baby when it comes to shots. That's true. Cause you need your trigger shot. You always have to have the trigger shot, but I, I, I feel like it was five shots for the IUI. And I remember saying, we're now going to tell our family mm-hmm. because I can't do this mm-hmm. anymore. I said, we're going to go to dinner um, and we're going to tell them. I said, I can't listen to your mom. Mm. Say one more time. When are you giving me grandkids? So I said, we're going to go in and we're going to tell them we were pregnant. We lost that baby. Do not ask again because this is the hardship we've been going through. Right now, my mother-in-law is a nurse. And so the nice thing was she got it. She understood what an ectopic pregnancy was. And even she goes, you could have died. Mm. Yeah. Yes, I could have. But because I advocated for myself, I am still here and I still can have kids. So stop asking. Mm. That was another hard conversation. We also said we don't want the siblings to know. Mm. Okay, I will tell them when we are ready but we're not ready today. You don't bring this up in conversation. Please don't ask any questions. If you have questions, please direct them to my husband. I will not be taking phone calls. (laughs) Love it. Right? Make sure I'm out of the room. Got to be your own PR person, right? It's like Exactly. Exactly. (laughs) So I said, we need a lot of time off. We need a lot of, we need space. I'll let you know when I'm ready again. I'm a very much, I'll let you know when I'm ready uh, to move forward. Do not ask me. I'll let you know. Good. So my birthday came up in September and I said, okay, I, you know, uh, your birthday goes by again. We all get depressed around our birthday. At least I did. And I said, I don't, I don't want anything. I have no kids to celebrate. Okay. Let's try again. So we did the three more rounds of IUI with no success, but my doctor was like, you can't get pregnant. So let's do IVF and you're going to get pregnant the first time, hundred percent guarantee, right? I should have gotten that in writing. You will pay <laughs> right. the cost hundred percent guarantee. There you go. <laughs> I did not mm-hmm. get that in writing. So in January of 2017, we go into our first round of IVF. I am a wreck mm. yeah, because you don't know what you don't know. And you're stepping into the unknown. Oh yeah. I don't know what this is going to feel like. Then you get a shipment of all your meds. I don't know if yours got shipped to your house. Mine got shipped. I didn't to do IVF. So, yeah, oh, I'm, I'm sorry. Yeah. Okay. 
So you get this whole big cooler on dry ice and you like, you got to be home to accept this package because it needs to go straight into the fridge. And you get a lesson from your nurse on how to give all the meds because you can't come in to get all these meds, mm-hmm. right? You have to do it at home. You do them all at home. So um, I don't love needles. Shocking. I used to pass out at needles. Funny story. God is laughing at me. <laughs> so my husband was there and I said, you have to give me all these shots, mm-hmm. right? So it was about five shots a day. Wow. I was getting like at the peak, right? So you start with like one shot a day. You're like working up. You're putting yourself in menopause is mm-hmm. what you're basically doing. Okay. You feel awful, right? You you hear old women talk about menopause and you're like, <laughs> this is not going to be fun. You're going to be moody. You're going to yell. It is hot all flashes, true. Right? Yeah, it's like- yeah. Hot flashes. First <laughs> time in my life in winter, I was like, I am enjoying winter. This is <laughs> right. Oh, I was so snippy at work too. And I felt bad about it because also I hadn't told anyone. Well, yeah. a few people know my boss, Jill, my other boss, Aaron. I was also the boss of seven nursing homes now. Yeah. Let me tell you, I was very excited when I got to fire people. <laughs> I was like, yes, let's go over your review. How have you been doing at work? Not well. Okay. We're going to, would you like to resign? Great. We're letting you go today. Right. I was like, just so the drug talking. <laughs> yeah. It was great. You need someone to yell. I'm here for you. I'm here. (laughs) And then they also, at least my doctor put me on basically like a keto diet. Okay. Take all your sugars away. Take all your carbs away. Very basic food. I definitely talked to one of the dietitians in the nursing home and I said, I shut the door and I said, I trust you immensely. This is what I'm doing. Help me with a meal plan. Mm -hmm. Right. What can I have? What can't I have? What is good for breakfast? Mm-hmm. All these things. It helps. I ended up losing 10 pounds. Wow. And I would not say I am huge on carbs and sugars, but like you want a baby so bad, you stick to that diet plan. Let me tell yeah, you. That's true. You do. And I was like, oh, I look great, by the way. Right. And then you're also getting all these shots. So then, of course, like, Thank goodness it was January, right? So it's not bikini season because I had bruises all over my stomach. Oh my gosh. And then also after they transfer the embryo, you get progesterone shots. Did you have these? No. They're the worst, by the way. I heard that it's really thick. It's thick in oil. Mm. And when you do the shot, it's got to be slow. You can't just like... Like, because it's so thick and it's the thickest needle, I guess they can like legally give you, I think. And it goes into basically your butt, like your upper butt. Mm -hmm. And then you're supposed to like massage it and put heat on it because it gives you like these balls under your butt. And it hurts really, really bad. And then if you get pregnant and stay pregnant, excuse me, you have to take them for 10 weeks. Oh my gosh. Every day. Yeah. So that's not fun. No, I'm glad you're sharing all of this. I had no idea. I knew you got a lot of shots on IVF, but I didn't really understand like how much it hurt and like the bruising and just, Mm -hmm. gosh, I mean, we really want these kids. Like you you put yourself through whatever. Yeah, you do. And you're, uh, you're like, at every step, you're like, I'm not going to do anymore. 
I won't do this again. And then you wake up one morning and you're like, I'm going to do it again. Yeah. I'm gonna try I want it. this baby. I got to do it. I want it. Right. Mm. So, you know, you're prepping for that. You're in every other day for blood work to make sure everything is absolutely perfect. Yeah. Um, they're counting your embryos, you know, every other day. So you're getting a ton of ultrasounds. You're counting the embryos. They're counting all of them and their sizes. And every IVF doctor is different. Mine, she never wanted someone to make a mistake. So only she would count the embryos herself. She did not have a tech to do that. Like she was like, nope, I do it myself. Yeah. Um, and so some clinics just do it on whenever your cycle is. Well, she would put like 20 women together into a cycle and you like had to get on the list. Mm -hmm. And there was like 20 of us that would cycle together. So she would put us on like birth control to sync us all together. And then from there, then you also, um, from there, then she would like sync all of your medicines, right? And so each IVF, my medicine would change just a little bit because when it wasn't working, they'd be like, well, you need a little more of this or a little less of this um, as you're, you're going through it. So you always had a beautiful colored calendar. And I felt like my phone went off so much to keep track of the times because I had like, yeah, all these alarms. So like in the morning I had two shots in the evening, I would have two shots before I went to bed, I would have a shot. And then even when you go in, you have a trigger shot to release your embryos, right? Before you go in to get them harvested and you have this very short, it's like a 12 hour window. So there was times you have to get up at like 2 a.m. to get a trigger shot for your appointment the next day. That's a lot to keep track of too, in the midst of all of this emotional turmoil that you're also experiencing, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Like you're not even in your right headspace, but you're just you know, powering through and doing what you have to do. But that's a yeah. lot. That's hard. Exactly. Yeah. And so then you would go in for your appointment, right? And so they would usually... Um, for the day of harvesting your embryos, your husband or partner goes into, gives his sample while they take you back. So then they have a fresh sample from them okay. and then you go back. And then there was like three different bays that they could put us. They would start an IV for you. Then they would be like, it's your turn. You would get up and you would go into their um, OR it wasn't a true hospital, right? It was just a medical center, but you would go in there. There would be an anesthesiologist for the day, which was lovely. I hear that is not a thing after listening to other podcasts. Uh -oh. uh, yeah. Um, and I so even imagine doing that without anesthesia. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Yeah. I can't either. So they, they put you to sleep. It's like twilight sleep and then they wake you up you know, right away, but it's so you don't move. Cause there's also this huge needle that they're going in and aspirating all of these embryos. And then there's a lab right next door. And so then they hand it to the lab and then the lab counts them for you and inseminates them. Yeah. Right. And so some do, it's more expensive if you do like itsy where they take a specific sperm and put into the egg specifically. And then there's some where they just like let them swim around and they're going to inseminate themselves. Then the next day you get a phone call. 
that says you had five embryos, two were inseminated, we'll call you back. Hmm. And so we always did a fresh transfer. And so if you do a fresh transfer, the goal is to transfer on day five. My doctor, again, would only transfer one embryo because she did not want multiples. That is not the case everywhere, like John and Kate plus eight, who I believe transferred four or five embryos, right? And, then got, and yeah. so, <laughs> yeah, so, so they only transfer one embryo, which I was very much against, but I said, okay, the rules are the rules. You said it'll work 100% of the time. That's fine. Okay. No. It, uh, I got pregnant. Um, but I miscarried right away. So your numbers are supposed to double. So if like you, and they will not do pregnancy tests, like pee on a stick, it's blood work. Uh, okay. And so they took the blood work and then they were like, it's a 10. So then the next day when they do it again, it's supposed to double. So it should be 20 and then 40. Right. And so they were like, well, it was 10 and now you're at 15. Uh-huh. And they're like, it's not doubling you will miscarry this baby. So you even knew in advance that that was going to happen. It did. And so they, they start, they do that like um, seven days out. Okay. So after the transfer, seven days out, they'll tell you if you're pregnant or not. What did we tell our family? Oh, it'll be like two to three weeks before we know. Right. We didn't want anyone to know because we wanted time ourselves to grieve Mm-hmm. this loss before we told anyone else. We may have sent it out in an email because I did not have the heart to make all these phone calls yeah. to let people know. Okay. It, it's hard. I also got backlash from that. I can't believe you emailed me. I'm sorry. I couldn't pick up the phone and say, I'm not pregnant again. Please don't ask questions. Have a lovely day. Bye. Yeah, exactly. Gosh. <laughs> So, but I remember her being so excited that she was like, let's do it again right away. So you have to, cause I wouldn't have been in the pool for February, right? You need like a month off. So I was in the pool for March. Okay. So then I remember they did the retrieval and we had three eggs and, and they usually say only 50% will, um, inseminate and start growing. We had one from that. And she said, I'm doing a three-day transfer. I said, but you said five. And she said, you have one embryo. If you want it, it will be on day three. You might not have it by day five. It could be dead. You've wasted your time. And I said, okay, but I'm still in this process. And we had like two eggs frozen from the first round. And I said, let's pull a frozen egg. No, that's a different protocol. Of course it is. Why would it not be easy? Um, Yeah, Okay. of course. So we did the three day. I get pregnant again. I lose the baby again. I told my husband, I said, I can't do this anymore. I said, I'm done. I said, I'm not sure. Then I had a friend. Oh, you're going to have friends that say adopt, right? And I'm not saying that's a bad idea, but it is not for every one, right? Or foster to adopt. Again, not for everyone. So I had a friend that specifically came up to me and said, you should foster to adopt. We foster. We're going to foster ourselves. And they already had three kids. 
And I said, okay, well, let's sit because I feel like it's good to sit and talk through these things sometimes when people bring this stuff up to you, especially if they're willing to chat. Oh, yeah. And I said, okay, well, as someone that has no children and I'm going to foster a child, you have to get your house ready to foster a child. Mm. I said, I don't have a kid bed. Do, do I buy a crib? Do I buy a toddler bed? Do I buy a twin bed? I don't have clothes for any children in my house. I don't have any toys. Do I buy girl stuff or boy stuff? I still go to work. So what do I do with the kid? Like, like, do I just get a phone call tomorrow that says we're going to place a kid? And then I call my boss and say, sorry, I'm done working today. I now have a foster kid. Hmm. Do I take them? So like, do they go to daycare? Do I take them to school? What school do I take them to? Like, these were some of my thousand questions that she couldn't even help me work through. And I was like, and then I'm going to open up my house and say, I'm willing to adopt, but how many kids are going to come through my house? Because the goal of fostering is to get them back with their parents. That's Mm -hmm. the ultimate goal that you go back to your parents. So I said, I feel there's going to be a lot of children placed in my home for two months, six months, two years. And then they go back to mom and dad because mom cleaned up her life or mom got out of jail and they're going back to mom. And I think that's great for the kid. But then I have a huge hole in my heart that I just took care of Sam for two years and now Sam's gone. Yeah. And I'm still not a mom. Mm. Right. It's hard stuff. I said, it's not for me. Like I sat down with my husband and I said, is this what you want? He said, no. Right. So you got to ask your partner what they want too. And sometimes it's hard when you hear the no, but that's not really what I wanted either. So I felt like it was okay because then I also said, well, what if a five-year-old comes in my house or a second grader and you're like, but they already have all these behaviors sometimes. And like, how do I deal with that? I don't feel like I'm prepared to deal with these things. I can't deal with my own emotions right now. Like, how am I going to help a second grader through like moving from house to house? Yeah. You know, instant progression, right? Like you're trying to prepare at least for like Mm -hmm. that newborn phase and that baby phase and to skip ahead. It's like, well, wait a minute. Like, I'm missing out on all those memories that I thought I might have with my own baby, right? Exactly. And especially when you get a baby, you don't have to like the day you find out you're pregnant, you don't have to baby proof your house. Like the baby grows and then you're like, oh, we are starting to crawl. Maybe we should put a gate up to the stairs today, right? Oh, my baby stood up in bed. Let's lower the crib, right? It's Mm -hmm. a lot slower process that I could wrap my head around instead of, I have no idea who's coming to my house. And then I watched them go through their foster experience. Mm -hmm. It was not lovely. And usually she would call the group and be like, I just got a five-year-old and a seven-year-old. They're these sizes. Can someone go pick me up clothes at um, a resale shop? Gosh, yeah. Moments notice. Mm Mm-hmm. So that was definitely not the path for you, right? That was not. Yeah, and that's okay. And that's okay. Yeah. And I said, I just think we aren't going to have kids. And that's fine. 
I, my boss had been talking about me with moving up in the company. I said, I think I want to move up in the company. I think I'm just going to be a career woman. We aren't going to have children. That's fine. We're also going to make some changes in our life, right? I wanted to start vacationing, big vacations, like twice a year, Mm -hmm. right? Because it needs to start being about you, right? You need to live life. I wanted to let those dreams die and move on, right? Let's not talk about it anymore. Let's move on with our life. I want to start moving forward. Let's have new hopes, new dreams, new goals. Nice. And then guess what? My birthday came around in September again. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) How old were you at this point? I, that was my 30th birthday. Okay. And I struggled. Yeah. I struggled real hard on that birthday because in 30, where -hmm. are you supposed to have? A house, house, two kids, oh, yeah. two and a half kids, white picket a, dog, fence. Yeah. a white picket fence, right? <laughs> yep. I had the house. I had the dog. I, yeah. I had a brown fence, but <laughs> I didn't have the kids and I felt like a failure. Mm, yeah. Right. And I just remember, I actually called my sister-in-law and I wouldn't say we're super duper close, but for some reason I felt comfortable calling her. And saying, I'm turning 30 and I feel like I have nothing to show for it, which was untrue. That was so untrue. Yeah. But I feel like sometimes as a society, if you don't have children, you have nothing to show for your life. Mm. Even though I was super successful at my job, I was a manager. But there was still something missing, right? Right. Mm -hmm. And I was like, "Hmm." okay, let's try again. And also I felt not only was your biological clock ticking, but also in the state of Illinois with my husband's insurance, we had six tries with IVF. So that's in the back of my mind. Now, is it paid on? How many at that point? We had done two. Mm, Okay. But we had also used up some of the other like money you're allotted with doing the IUIs, but it's cheaper right? It's only like $5,000 at the time. And then your meds on top of that, which I think were like $100 for IUI. And then IVF is $20,000. Wow. So that's why I kept wanting to do IVF, IUI because I was like, yeah. it's cheaper. More right? Yeah. It's like, yeah. Well, it goes longer for sure. Right. And so we still had like deductibles to meet. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, you know, the cost of meds, I feel like I paid a thousand dollars for them. Yeah. They were supposed to be like two to $3,000. Right. And so I just remember being like, okay, well, we only have six of them. We've used two. And then if you do a frozen cycle, that counts as a cycle. Oh, okay. Good to know. In Illinois. Well, and again, it's all different. Yeah, it's different everywhere. Right. But that was that was our rules because I remember specifically calling into HR and saying, I need all explain everything to me, right? I want to know all the details. And then usually in your IVF clinic, you will sit down with the money person Mm -hmm. on your first visit and say, how are we paying for this? Show me your insurance. I will call you after and tell you the specifics of your insurance, right? Because they want to make sure you can pay for these things. Exactly. So that was in the back of my head that I was like, oh, but if if this doesn't work out and I really want two kids, mm. our chances just get keep getting less and less. True. Yeah. So anyways, I told my husband, okay, let's do one more round. 
we aren't going to tell anyone. I said, we can tell our small group because we lived in Illinois. Our family lives in Indiana. Yeah. And I said, we will do one more time. I said, then I'm done. Even though I, I've said that multiple times, right? <laughs> no, yeah, but it's okay. You had permission to change your mind. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> so we did. We didn't tell anyone in the family. I didn't want anyone to know. Mm-hmm. I didn't want any questions. We go through IVF. I just had a transfer that day. We get a phone call from Alex's dad. We were both home and nobody knows that we're home, that we've done this this day. Again, we transfer one embryo and I looked my doctor in the eye and I said, if this does not work next time you're transferring to, if we do it again, she said, okay, I agree. And I said, write it in the notes. Yeah. (laughs) Let me get that in writing. And so we get a phone call from his dad, which is really strange, right? It's middle of the day. We're laying on the couch watching TV because you're also supposed to, after an IVF transfer, you're supposed to be down for like 48 hours, right? So usually you lay there in the clinic for about an hour and you're supposed to come in with a full bladder, which I did not say, which is super uncomfortable. They want it like exploding. Oh, wow. Yeah. And so that they can see better, like where they're placing it, it looks better on the ultrasound. And so I remember the first time the IVF doctor goes, oh, you understood the assignment. You are way too full. <laughs> full. I'm going to catheterize you and take some of this out. And like, I, I just like, followed the instructions. <laughs> I know. I was like, I know. I feel like I'm going to pee my pants, but I, I want this to work. Right. <laughs> so, but then um, they don't want you to get up right away. Usually. And so usually they'll catheterize you and empty your bladder so you can, you know, stay for a while. Um, But I've also heard other people just let you get up right away. It's whatever your doctor says. So, so dad called Alex, picks up his phone and finds out his grandma just passed away. Oh my gosh. It was expected, but not that soon. She had ALS, but nobody had called and told us. Right. Mm -hmm. And in the back of my head, I thought this is going to work. Mm. Grandma just died. We're getting a baby for our life to come in. Yeah. Right. Mm. But I was like, don't say anything. Don't jinx it. Right. You just thought that. Right. I just thought that <clears throat> the funeral happened kind of fast within a week. We were at the funeral back in Indiana. I remember being at the funeral. I went to the bathroom and I'm spotting. Mm. Now, where's the best place to cry at a funeral? That's I'm not. I was crying for grandma being gone, but it wasn't my grandma. Mm. And I loved her dearly. But the best place to cry, thinking you're losing another baby right around Christmas time. Because it's like December 17th or something. Oh, wow. Yeah, right before. And I was like, I don't even get a baby for Christmas. Mm. And the day we were at the funeral, I was supposed to go get my blood drawn. But we were in Indiana, so I couldn't. And so we had to wait until we got back. And so I just remember I was spotting at the funeral and crying Mm. and crying. Everyone's like, it's okay. It'll be okay. And I was just like, I know, I know. I'm not crying about this at all. Oh, it's fine. Right. Good cover. Yeah. (laughs) And of course, a lot of families like, so when are you two going to have a baby? You guys been married for, you know, nine years now. I know. 
And I was just like, well, when we're ready, I don't know. We haven't decided we're ready, which is so hard to say over and over all day long. Because you're ready. You've been ready. It's like so hard. I know people. Mm -hmm. So of course that is not helpful at all. And then my mom clued into me because my mom was at the funeral too. And she was like, what is wrong with you? And I was like, I miss carrying the baby right now. And Mm -hmm. she was like, oh, you did it. Tell us. And I'm like, I know. Don't tell my husband. You aren't supposed to know. Right. Don't tell anyone else <laughs> or anybody. Oh, well, yeah. And so, you know, it was just hard. So then we go back to Illinois. That Monday, I get blood work. And I always say, leave me a voicemail. Mm-hmm. I will not pick up the phone at work. I didn't want to know because I didn't want to be in tears all mm-hmm. day at work because they usually call because you get blood work in the morning. So by lunchtime, you know the answers. Yeah. And I said, please just leave a voicemail. And this was great. It was before the time of transcribing voicemail. So I couldn't even cheat. Right. Kind of like, <laughs> is it positive? Is it negative? I, I can't tell. Right. Yeah. And so I remember I went home for lunch that day and my husband was home and I was like, let's listen to the voicemail together. And then I'll decide if I can go back to work. Cause as a manager, I didn't have to go back to work. I could work yeah. from home for the rest yeah. of the day. If I wanted to sit and cry and answer emails. Nice. And we listened to it and it was positive. Oh my God. You're pregnant. Uh, I was so excited. But on the voicemail, it said, please do not tell anybody for Christmas because we think you're going to lose this baby again. Oh my God. Again, because my numbers were so low. Mm. And I was so disappointed going into Christmas because that's all I wanted to say. Oh yeah. So we did not. And that was just so hard that Christmas. Yeah. Right. So then you know, my numbers kept rising, which was great. Right. But I still in the back of my head, I'm going to lose this baby. And they told you you would, right? You didn't have any other reason to believe like your numbers are so low. We have seen people carry the baby, but your numbers are so low. Just expect you to lose this baby. Yeah. So I'm not excited. I'm trying not to get excited at all. Yeah. Then we finally tell our family, we're told you're, you're going to get discharged, you know, from us back to your OBGYN. You're doing great. The baby looks great. Good heartbeat. Perfect. Right. So we tell our family it went wonderful. Everyone was so excited. Just the parents, not the siblings or anything. We ended up calling them later on the phone since we all live in different places. Then fast forward to 12 weeks. It is Valentine's day week. I start spotting. I'm like, and the night before I had been at Kohl's and I had bought some maternity clothes. Mm. And I just remember I jinxed myself. Why did I do that? Well, of course I need clothes to wear. Yeah. Right. There's nothing wrong with that. Yeah. In my head, I just kept thinking, I jinxed Mm. myself. Why did I go and buy clothes? I don't need them yet. Yeah. I was so upset with myself. I remember calling, so upset. Come on in right away. Come on in. They did the ultrasound. Nope, baby's fine. Moving around, kicking, heartbeat. Mm-hmm. You're fine. You're now on bed rest. At 12 weeks. Oh, already? Yeah. I and I had a new boss. Mm-hmm. My my Jill was gone. I had a new boss. I had not told her anything. And I have to now call her. I'm on bed rest. I can work from home. 
sorry about you. Yeah. I'm on bed rest. So I call her. Thank goodness I did not know she went through IVF and had triplets. Uh, so she understands. Yeah. Yeah. They were in high school. So she gets it. So she was like, take all the time you need. Let me know. We aren't going to use any of your PTO time because you're going to need this. You're going to work from home. It was amazing. That's awesome. She was great. But I was down for a week. The spotting stopped. We did blood work. The baby was fine. Mm-hmm. It was fine. Right. But it, you still up up until that moment you have that baby i felt like i was so nervous and lived on pins and needles hmm. the whole time yeah it was hard to get excited about it cuz you would like get excited and then you're like no i can't be too excited uh, i can't yeah. be too excited cuz people lose their babies all the time yeah like i had a friend that had a stillborn baby at 39 weeks Right. And so it's like, just please don't get excited because it's not going to happen. So I remember being wheeled out of the hospital in the wheelchair, the baby's on my lap in his car seat. And I'm just bawling my eyes out. My mother-in-law standing next to me. I'm just crying. And she goes, Mm -hmm. honey, it's going to be okay. I know you could take care of him. You're going to be a great mom. And I remember being that's not the reason I'm crying. Yeah. I'm not scared to take care of him. I never thought this day would come. Yeah. Right. So ladies, I just ask you to hold on to that hope, right? It can be a long five-year journey or longer. Yeah. It can hopefully be a shorter journey because you don't take so many breaks because you say, I'm done with this nonsense. <laughs> right. But I ask you to hold on to hope, Mm. right? That I pray your day is coming. Love that so much. I think uh, what a story of resilience too, because you faced so many obstacles and so many setbacks and so many times where you literally could have thrown in the towel and you could have said, Mm -hmm. I'm done. I'm not going to try anymore. We're not going to do this. And the beautiful baby boys, not really babies, I guess, but (laughs) the beautiful boys that you have now, you know, would not have been here. And I just think they were meant to come to you when they came to you. And Mm -hmm. I know, you know, everything worked out, but it's so hard in the moment to see Mm -hmm. that, that future, that hope, like you said, even the little milestones, it's hard to celebrate them when you get to that point and it gets further along, but, um, I'm just, I'm so happy for you. I'm so happy that you now have your dream, right? You are a mom Mm -hmm. and um, yeah, but gosh, what, what a journey, what a journey that you Mm -hmm. went through to get to this point. And I just, I just want to commend you. I think you've, you've been through a lot, um, you know, with the losses and everything too. It's, it was not easy. It's still not easy, right? Like you said, we're still kind of grieving that, that process and that journey, um, and that's okay too. So it doesn't doesn't go away immediately just because you had your babies. So mm-hmm. um, I'm just I'm so glad. Thank you for sharing this, and thank you for being vulnerable, and thank you for just really giving us so many details about it too. I I don't want to move on yet, but I do want to give you an opportunity to talk about your business. Is there anything else that you want to share regarding your journey, or any other advice that you have to wrap up? I guess that portion. 
Yeah. Um, I know I talked about like my small group, but I, I feel like it's also good to find other women going through IVF and IUI. And so, you know, Clarissa, you're so wonderful. And I feel like you're maybe going to start having a virtual support group. I don't know. Maybe I'm just speaking into you what I feel like you need. <laughs> um, but I was lucky enough to Google and find a support group in my town. Nice. Again, was it perfect? Absolutely not. Was it lovely to go to a place and talk to other women and hear their journeys too? Yes. Now, be warned, some of these women that come are on secondary infertility journeys, mm. right? So their first baby was easy as cake. Yep. Their second baby was not easy, right? And so sometimes it does hurt a little bit to hear them talk about their first baby and you're like, shouldn't you just be happy with the first one you got? <laughs> Again, anger and bitterness, yes. right? Yeah. I'm sorry about that. But but be aware it hurts for them too, because they have this dream and picture of their family of, you know, a family of four, a family of five, whatever it looks like for them. And they also aren't getting their family and they feel like a puzzle piece is missing as well. Mm, That's so true. And so you have to really think about that. You also have to be open to going to these groups and someone's going to get pregnant before you on their IVF journey. Yeah. And those days are hard too. And some people are going to speak into you and you aren't going to like the advice. And that's okay too, to say, no, thank you. Like I had this one girl that kept speaking to me and saying, find a new doctor. Mm. And I said, but, but I really like my doctor. I think she's so nice. So amazing. Was she a little, you know, she was really smart. So she, (laughs) yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So she wasn't that warm and fuzzy and sweet and huggy, right? But she knew her stuff. And I loved her for that. Yeah. But she kept saying, find somebody else. And I finally figured out her anger was that that doctor did not get her pregnant a second time. Uh However, she found a different doctor. Now, my insurance was not covered, which I thought was interesting by the doctor she went to in Springfield, Illinois. So, (laughs) same state. I don't know. It was not covered. And I was like, I can't go there. And I just don't have this much cash. I don't have $20,000 sitting in my bank account, really like $25,000. For one round, right? Yeah. For one round. Like mine is discounted and we saved up every time to pay in cash for these rounds of what we owed. The hardest part was walking one day into my IVF clinic and she was walking out. And I said, what you doing? And she said, well, we had frozen embryos sitting here. So we decided to do a transfer here. Mm. Guess who got pregnant there where she was telling me not to go. (laughs) Okay. So it's also hard when you're also in community sometimes with these same women and we're all broken and it's hard. And so I think Clarissa will be wonderful working with you one-on-one, right? And she's through the journey, but I think it's nice to also maybe not be a person that says, who has it worst? Mm, Good point. Right? So you don't want to be comparing, well, mine did this, or, ooh, I got five embryos. Oh, you only got two, 
right? Like, please don't play that comparing game. And I feel like that's so easy when you're in the journey because you're holding on to something little and hopeful. And so, you know, my heart just breaks for you, right? But it is so nice to not have to explain things when you're going through it to everybody else that doesn't understand like your sister-in-law. So true. Yeah, no, it's, it's something to be said when you're in a community of women who you can use the terms and things like this that we're discussing too. A lot of this would be considered TMI with regular friends, right? With oh yeah. I don't want to know, but with your fertility friends, it's like, no, I, I do want to know, like, tell me more. Like what was your cycle like this month? Right. What was, uh-huh. tell me yeah. about your, your IVS experience. You're talking about the different appointments. And or stuff. even like, did you get suppositories too? Cause they're really, oh, really gross. Right. Yes. yes. And they're like, I, I had those too. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Yeah, I think it's you're you're in good company, right? And so, yes, there will be challenges even with a community, um, but it's better than being alone. It's better than go th- going through it on your own and not getting any support at all. So, yeah, that's that's great. So, um, let's talk about your business too and how you support women now, and um, yeah. a little bit of a twist on what you do. I know you're still a speech language pathologist, but. Um, yeah. What else do you do? <laughs> yeah. So I'm also, um, because of my journey after my boys, I became um, a lactation consultant. So our son, our second son was born with a tongue tie. And so I struggled to breastfeed with him and I knew something was wrong and our journey was done incorrectly. So you can also follow my podcast, yes. Breastfeeding <laughs> Relief with Bethany, and you will hear all about my journey um, of that, but I want to help, um, mamas on their journey. So after you do get pregnant, I can help you on your journey on the other side. I would love to help you. I help moms as they go back to work, if you still want to, um, breastfeed. And so I'll help you with a pumping schedule, getting that all set up. I want to set you up for success. Um, as far as you want to breastfeed, right. And pumping is breastfeeding mom. So just know that I also help moms where their babies have tongue tie and they feel confused because when you're told this, you're like, okay, now what do I do? It, you know, it kind of just stops there that no one will continue to explain to you what is going on with your kid or what you need to do. Um, that you need to go see a pediatric dentist and get it released. You need to have stretches with a speech therapist or lactation consultant or both with me, right? And then you also need to go see a chiropractor. And so I just want to help you on that journey. And so I do have a course. I also have journals. um, And then I just help everyday moms on their breastfeeding journey with any pain or latch, setting you up for success, helping you switch to bottles, all of the things. So I would love to see you. You can follow me on breastfeeding relief, um, on Instagram. You can visit my website, breastfeeding relief with Bethany. Um, and ladies, I would love to hear from you. So you've heard my journey and I've had a lot of women reach out to me, um, privately. You can DM me, uh, and I would love to talk to you about your story too. I am here to also talk about that because we do just need to support everyone. And I know we hide a lot. And so I want to help support you. Thank you for that. That's really, really sweet of you. And I hope people take you up on that. Bethany's amazing. Her podcast is really great too. And 
it's kind of similar to where she's sharing stories from women too, who have gone through that breastfeeding journey. So it's nice to be able to find stories that you can relate to. So yes, please listen to that. I will link all of that in the show notes to make it easy for you too. Um, That way you all can just click it and um, head over to her podcast, her website and her Instagram too. But yeah, this was amazing, Bethany. I, I really, really appreciate it. I know you talked a lot about your journey and just shared some really, again, vulnerable moments. Mm-hmm. And I know that may not have been easy. I hope I hope it was beneficial for you too, just to kind of even get that off your chest sometimes too. But um, I know that this will help so many women and just really inspire them as they go along the journey and supporting them through the relationships in their lives, this um, IVF journey, if they end up going that route. So um, this was really beautiful. And I just want to thank you for being a guest on our podcast. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much for having me. All right, friend, that's it for today. It was great catching up with you, though, and I can't wait to do it again next week. Can I just say, I really appreciate you being here, and it means so much that you took time out of your day to listen in. So what'd you think of the episode? Let me know if you enjoyed it by leaving a rating and review. It'll just take a second, and this simple act of generosity helps more women discover the podcast so they can feel supported on their fertility journey as well. Thank you for being so kind and paying it forward. Oh yeah, and by the way, if you're looking to connect with other women who are trying to get pregnant, then I've got just the place for you. Consider this your personal invitation to join the Fertility Friends community. It's a safe and supportive space to connect that's off of social media, and it's totally free. Head on over to blossomingfertility.com friends to join. I can't wait to welcome you inside. Take care, my friend.